At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Podcast listeners, I'm sorry. I know we told you, hey, the podcast is back. We're producing Homesteady again. And then I went and disappeared for like almost two months. So I do apologize for that. It was not my intention. I'm going to explain what happened, make another big announcement, and then we're going to dive into what is an awesome first podcast episode with Accountant Mike since our extended break. It's one of the best ones. We cover being a profitable homestead in the most depth I think we've ever done it. So it's a really good one. Hang on for that. But first, I want to tell you where we went, why, and what's going on. First, why did I take a break (laughs) in short and kind of sad news uh, my grandfather passed away and when that happened i took a little bit of time off just to you know recalculate and then i actually started working on an episode of the podcast featuring him he lived on a dairy farm and he's got a really good story but that one's taken longer because there's a lot of emotion tied up with it and i just want to do a good job so it was slow and that's why i decided to work on this episode next get this one out there Eventually, you'll hear that episode with my grandfather. It's a really good one. Next, you missed out on some really big news. We held a big sale last month on Homesteady Pioneer membership because Homesteady almost disappeared forever. I'm going to play you a short clip from one of our recent YouTube videos explaining this and then tell you how you can not miss out. Uh, We're going to rerun this sale for you podcast listeners so you're not missing out. So, Listen to what happened, and I'll be back after this short video clip that we play. But it's audio. Listen. There's some big changes coming for Homesteady that I want to tell you about in this video. We also, stay tuned to the end, we have a gift for you. So hang in there for that. We have some big changes coming to Homesteady. This is going to be a big update. Let's get into it. I'm coming to you live from our new Live From The Barn studio. Uh, We've set this space up to do some live streaming. We've set it up to do another show I'm gonna talk about in just a minute here. It was a lot of work. So we're really excited to be able to start doing more of this. About two weeks ago, I got a message from Amazon that I had made a mistake with our Amazon Associates program. So most of you know we are an Amazon associate. One of the ways that we are able to make videos five days a week, podcasts, do Homesteady full-time now, is partially thanks to being an Amazon associate. 
And if you shop through our theamsteady.com, then get forwarded on to Amazon, or if you use any of the links for the gear that we talk about and we share that are affiliate links, we make a small commission from that, which is one of the ways we earn money from doing homesteady. And Amazon has grown. Our Amazon associate program has grown to the point where it's become a major source of our income each month. I got this email from Amazon and I'm gonna read it uh, so you know exactly the mistake I made. It said, the information in your application, such as your email address, mailing address, and or the list of sites you're using to drive traffic to Amazon is not accurate. Your site is using an Amazon logo that was not made available as content in Associate Central. So these were my mistakes. I knew that you had to have the right information. I just hadn't updated since we moved. Their email said, if I didn't do anything, if I didn't make the changes in five days, they would close down our account and uh, we would no longer be an Amazon associate. And what that would mean right now, if that had happened, game over for Homesteady. We are building this business and we're trying our hardest to make it sustainable. But Amazon has become a major part of Homesteady's earnings and if we were to lose that today, I would have to figure something else out. I'd have to go back to doing my marketing business. So it was really scary for me having worked so hard at making Homesteady what it is. So I dove in and I fixed the problem and we're okay for now. Amazon's not shutting us down. And again, it was my mistake. It had nothing to do with Amazon. So it's really hard to run a business where you're dealing with the threat of Amazon or YouTube demonetizing you. If you know what sharecropping is, it's essentially building a farm on someone else's land. And we all know how much work we put into our farms, into the soil, making that soil. Maybe we take bad soil and we add amendments and we add some manure, some compost, some supplements, minerals, whatever it is, and suddenly we have this beautiful, rich soil. And then, because we don't own that land, we've increased the value, the person who owns that land can boot us off. Digital sharecropping. That's what happens when you build a business solely on YouTube or solely as an Amazon associate. You're earning them profit, you're earning yourself profit, you're building something good, but then anytime they decide they don't want you there anymore, they can boot you and you, there's nothing you can do about it. I built a business from the beginning with Homesteady that was not entirely digital sharecropping. YouTube is where there's lots of people watching, iTunes, lots of people listening. To access them, I had to work on those networks and those content platforms. But from day one, we had a website, thisishomesteady.com, and I set up the Pioneer program to protect us from digital sharecropping. And as soon as we started monetizing our show with the Pioneer program, we were protecting ourselves from YouTube shutting us down, Amazon shutting us down, somebody shutting us down and the show disappearing. Well, this is our big announcement. We are shifting our strategy from a YouTube focused production. For the last two years, we have been focused primarily on producing videos for YouTube. We're now shifting to thisishomesteady.com focused production and Pioneer focused production. Now, for those of you who can't be pioneers, I understand not everybody can pay five bucks a month to help support the show. Not everybody has the time to digest the bonus content, that sort of thing. I totally get that. 
stay tuned because like I said, there's more good things coming for everyone. But right now we are going to start producing a video podcast. So here in our new podcast, live from the barn, live streaming uh, setup, uh, we're going to be doing interviews like we used to do on our podcast with experts in different fields. I'm right now chatting with Tractor Mike from Ask Tractor Mike to come on the show. We're gonna do an episode about tractors. I have a Counted Mike plan coming on next week. We're gonna talk about running a profitable homestead. Uh, you know in the past we've had Cody Creelman on the show. We've had John Siskovich from Farm Marketing Solutions. We like to find experts in the homesteading and farming world and we like to interview them. Now we are inviting the Homesteady Pioneers to join us live for those interviews. We'll do our usual interview, and at the end, the Pioneers will have exclusive access to a Q&A session with our expert. This summer, we're going to be producing this show, the Homesteady Pioneer Livestream, and we're going to be inviting different guests on. We'll see who you would like to have on the show. But like I said, this is not just good for the Homesteady Pioneers. From this show, we are going to be producing more podcasts. We're now going to be doing this show every week with the Pioneers, so that's that many more interviews to work with, more podcast episodes coming out for those of you who listen to the podcast, and videos. We're gonna have more videos with more experts. We're gonna be releasing video excerpts from these episodes. And most importantly, not only are we gonna have more content, but we're going to be able to keep producing this show, even if YouTube were to boot us, even if Amazon were to boot us, because we're going to create a show that is more sustainable, thrive on its own without outside help from YouTube or Amazon or any of the big platforms. So please consider, if you are a super fan, if you wake up every morning and the first thing you do is check to see if Homesteady has a new video, if you were one of those people who, the week we were away for paternity leave, missed our show and, and was hoping for us to come back, if you can do it, $5 a month gets you Homesteady Pioneer access, uh, you become a member. We're doing a special this month. For one month, we're going to do a discounted price. If you buy a year-long subscription, you get two months for free. We, for the first time ever, are going to run a sale where monthly you can get that same price, two months for free, with your monthly membership. So you just pay, it's $4.16 every month, equals the same as our discounted year-long membership. We've never sold that before. Click on the link below, right there, or at the end of this video to become a pioneer. If you can become a Homesteady Pioneer, you're ensuring that this show is never shut down because YouTube decided they didn't want to allow us to make videos about where our food comes from, or Amazon can't shut us down because we didn't have the right logo for Amazon or we had something wrong in our information. The point is we want to make sure we always have that direct contact with our super fans and that we can keep producing this show. And to thank you for that, we're giving you not only bonus content, classes, discounts from Homesteady Pioneer vendors. We are now going to be producing a show specially for you, giving you direct access to those who are interviewing for Q&A sessions. And if you miss it, that entire full-length episodes will be available in the Pioneer Library to watch anytime, anywhere that you have the internet. And the audio files you'll be able to download onto your phone and listen to like a podcast as you drive. 
So there you have it. I didn't want you podcast fans to miss out on our membership sale. We're going to be doing these weekly shows. You can join us live to ask our guests questions. The episode you're about to hear is one of the recordings we made, minus the Q&A session with Accountant Mike. We've already done another one of these episodes all about goats. We had a good Q&A after that episode. We're going to have live Q&As, live recordings, and you'll hear the whole extended uncut something that will never make it here to the podcast or out on YouTube. If you want to be a part of that, it's a lot of fun and we'd love to have you. Head over to thisishomesteady.com slash pioneer podcast. That's thisishomesteady.com slash pioneer podcast. P-I-O-N-E-E-R podcast. That's where you'll find for the next month. I'm just going to do it for one month here. So you have one month to get the discounted rate. Get your discount. It's only for you you, uh, you podcast listeners. This isn't something I'm posting on the website for everybody to see. Just for you podcast fans because you missed out on the YouTube sale. But I love you podcast fans just as much as our YouTube fans. So go check that out. And now let's dive into running a profitable homestead with Accountant Mike. It's one of our best discussions on profitability and homesteading. It's really thorough. Let's dive in. Profitable homesteads. Uh, is that a thing, Accountant Mike? Um, I don't know. What's your definition of profit there, friendo? <laughs> Do you like to golf, Accountant Mike? I golf just enough to be not good at it. Is it a side effect of being an accountant that you have to at least like learn the basics? I feel like you have to know the. You have to have a working knowledge of it. Like I know the difference between a wood and an iron, that sort of thing. I don't know if I've ever shared on the show the only time I ever went golfing, I got kicked off the golf course. Have we talked about this before? Uh, me, a couple of friends that you'll remember from high school, Bjorn, Logan, uh, we were all, we went all dressed up. We went to Goodwill. We bought a bunch of Argyle sweater vests and knee-high socks. And we bought... We, we mostly were focused on the wardrobe. We bought one, one, what do you call like a sack of clubs? Bag. Bag of clubs. <laughs> sure. Or a sack. Or however one you sack of clubs. It. And yeah. we took that sack of clubs for all four of us and we tried to play golf. And when we showed up, the guy thought we were legit because of the clothes. He was really excited we were there. One hole in, he comes riding out on his little cart screaming at us because he can tell we're just there to goof off. So he said to me, I'm putting an X next to your name and you can never come here again. And we were letting people go by. We weren't being jerks, but we were just there to have fun. And he's like, this is golf. You don't come here to have fun. You come here to golf. <laughs> My God. The reason I'm talking about golf is because sometimes we have hobbies, right? And they're just hobbies. I Googled just to see if it even existed, 
profitable golfing. When you Google profitable golfing, because it's just a hobby that you do to get away from work, maybe make some networking happen, uh, you just go and golf. There's nobody looking to earn money or earn gain back from golfing unless it's someone running a course. And apparently, I don't know, do you work with anybody who owns a golf course? No, no, no golf course clients, but I could see the appeal. Um, well, apparently it's, really, range. apparently I feel like it's really hard to be profitable. Really? Ah, yeah. dang. Everybody was, all the articles were like, how to be profitable golfing or running a golf thing. Don't. <laughs> you might be able to easier run, do that than run a profitable homestead. Because as you know, you've been our farm accountant for the six years we were running a farm business. Yeah. And while we had some profitable enterprises, sure. I never claimed that we reached profitability fact like level back when we were in Connecticut. And now here we are, our first full year is over here in Pennsylvania, which is kind of crazy. And we haven't even started when it comes to selling things. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've seen the numbers, you've seen the results of homesteading and small farming and how hard it is yep. to actually be profitable. Yep. Um, and, and this isn't new. So homesteaders nowadays come to homesteading because they're interested in profit, they're interested in some sort of gain. But even if we go back in history to the 1800s where homesteading started, Homesteading started with people who had nothing, freed slaves, uh, poor farmers coming from other people's farms, and were offered this chance to have 160 acres and some, sometimes more acreage uh, for a very small filing fee. And then five years they had to live off that land, which is as everyone involved in any form of homesteading, gardening, farming knows, it is hard. And so they would go out with this dream of, you know what, I'm going to work on this land for five years, I'm going to survive, and then I'm going to thrive, and it's going to be mine. And that's a big profit. If you're a freed slave in the late 1800s, or if you're a poor farmer who has decided to try it, you've been working hard for someone else, let's try this for yourself, the idea that you could suddenly own land just for working the same amount you probably were already working, that's yeah. a huge profit. Oh, yeah. But believe it or not, not a lot of pe people were able to do it. Not a lot of people were able to succeed at it. It was hard back then. People were trying to get profit. It's nowadays, we don't get the free land. The Homestead Act isn't happening anymore. Uh, but still, we come to homesteading, I think most of us, with some sort of, looking for some sort of gain. I know when we started, we had just had our, our first child and uh, our son, and we wanted to feed him the best quality food that we could, but we could not afford what was at the farmer's market. And so the gain, the profit we were looking for at the time was, well, can we just afford this good quality food if we put in our own sweat equity and our own work? And then that little, you know, seed in your brain hey i was able to raise some eggs i was able to raise some pigs what about selling a little extra right maybe i could make some money to pay for this homestead and you keep going and you keep trying how can i make a profit and if you google it there are hundreds of articles out there and we've talked about it from time to time because it isn't easy it's not a a given thing that your homestead will be profitable but we didn't have you on the show to just tell everybody you can't do it 
So <laughs> let's attack this. And tonight I want to go in a, a bit of a different path than we've taken in the past. Sure. Uh, you and me have talked about how to run a business from your homestead. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll address that a little bit. But really I want to focus on not just running the, a business, but actually achieving profitability, whether or not you really ever run a business from your homestead. Think we can handle that? I think so. All right. For those of you who like the one person out there who doesn't know who Accountant Mike is. Accountant Mike, give us your introduction. Oh, that poor, poor one person, you just singled them out. How about two or three people? We don't want That's to single terrible. anybody out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, to, how to describe myself. Uh, so I'm an accountant, right, pretty much. I work with principally with businesses. I work with businesses helping them, you know, prepare financial statements, and I do some tax work. I do a bunch of cash flow work, actually, like, you know, cash flow projections, cash flow management. Um, and I do something called corporate treasury work, which is uh, basically, so you know, like what financial planning is for an individual person. Sure. I do. I do that sort of thing, but for businesses. So like, OK, you have this much stuff. What are you going to need it for? Um, you know, things of that nature. That's basically what I do. I predominantly work with small businesses, um, typically a little bit bigger than your average homestead, but you know, <laughs> small enough. <laughs> I mostly am your farm accountant just because we're friends and I, <laughs> I, I accepted chickens as payment. So, <laughs> And we jumped at that opportunity. <laughs> we still have chickens in the freezer from our Connecticut farm. So if you need you a few chickens... Oh, okay. I'll give you the freshest ones I got. <laughs> Accountant Mike has been on our podcast many times. He's helped us take a good hard look at numbers, uh, see whether or not what we're doing makes sense dollars and cents wise, right? Uh, the time investment and what we're getting back. And I think when you're trying to establish whether or not something is profitable, that is the way you have to look at it. So what is profit? What are we looking for here? I figured, you know, let's go with the basic definition to start us off, right? Profit, a financial gain, especially the difference between the amount earned and the amount spent in buying, operating, or producing something. So that's pretty simple, right? You have an amount, a gain, that is hopefully, if it's a profit, it's going to be more in what you get than what you've given. Uh, And then a secondary, and when we're talking about homesteading, we could apply this uh, because while the first definition really obviously is looking monetarily speaking, uh, the second definition of profit is. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Advantage or benefit. So we do acknowledge coming in, and Accountant Mike's even said this in past interviews, if you love doing something, if it makes your life better, there is value to that. Absolutely. But today's podcast for you pioneers who are watching uh today we really want to take a hard look at the actual monetarily speaking profitable homestead is it something that is paying for itself 
it's okay to play golf. It's okay to have a hobby. You don't have to worry about this. But if you would like to, and I really would, I have been for the last almost decade now going on a decade of homesteading, trying to make all these endeavors at least pay for themselves, then if we're going to do that, we have to take a good hard look because it's easy to lose track. Accountant Mike, congratulations. You just bought your first home, right? I did, yeah. Recently. So uh, you no longer are city dweller? No, I live in the country now. There's greenery outside this window here. And, <laughs> you know, there's like, I don't know. I mean, it's like I can, my neighbors that way. I can see them, but they're like a distance away. So for the longest time, you were my city accountant. Now you're my I was. You say it's country, but there's apparently an argument in the household. It's pretty country. No. Like I've got, I've got grass and stuff like that. I'll give like, you suburbs. <laughs> All right. Okay, so you got your your house, right? Yeah. You moved in and you did a little bit of remodeling. You painted, sure. painted some new colors. Yeah. I got a picture sent to me. Uh, did you? From your wife. Oh, dear. Long-term listeners and followers uh, might be surprised at what was in the picture. Gardening, everybody. Well, that's a little misleading. Tell me about the garden. My wife is gardening. All right. So we built. So yes, we bought a house. We live here. We're planning on living here for a while, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we built a raised bed that Lana is using to do, like you know, she's growing all kinds of stuff: tomatoes, cauliflower, broccoli, cucumbers. There's a pepper plant in there. There's some spinach. Um, I gotta something. say, the picture, it, it looked beautiful. It's crazy. It's intense. Um, and the keen listener will remember from episode number 0001, oh, Container Gardens so got a thumbs back. up. It sure did. And after actually doing it, I totally get it. Like, it's something, and I don't know if this is where you're intending on going with this story, but it's something where by putting a garden inside of a container like that and kind of controlling it a little bit, you have a much uh, much tighter degree of control over your expenses, right? Because it's much more, e- you know, it's much easier to actually kind of wrap it up in a fence if you want to, to keep the deer out so they don't eat it. Um, it's much, you can get better soil for it if you want because you're buying so much less soil. So yeah, she's doing it. We did it. Cost us some money to set it up, but we're going to keep it for a bunch of years, so I'm not too worried about that. That's not at all where I was going with it, but that oh, was, okay. I mean, like a super good transition. Like, all right, oh, good, here we excellent. go. So <laughs> the reason I bring up gardening and right. your gardening, because the first thing I asked you was, you better keep track of your numbers. And you oh, said, yeah. I already did. And it looks awful. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you grow one, you take a seed of lettuce, right? A seed, you buy one packet of lettuce seed and it's a couple bucks and there's like a hundred little seeds in there and you, you factor in each one of these seeds costs me pennies and you put that in the thing and out comes this big lettuce bulb and you take that and you eat the lettuce and that's like you literally are like printing money right like man i put this seed in the ground totally chickens don't interrupt (laughs) me here i know what you're thinking i I got this chicken this little chick at tractor supply it's three dollars i pay three dollars 
and the chick grows into a hen and it's spitting out a dozen eggs every two weeks that's a win-win it's we're just like it's a win-win the eggs are spitting out every dozen eggs saves you three or four bucks i mean that's printing money you take that one seed and that little head of lettuce or that one chicken and you start to multiply it right you have a whole garden now and you're spending a couple hours in the garden and then you get a whole flock of chickens uh, and then you put the garden and the chickens together and now you have a homestead and that one little seed and that one little chicken turns into this huge thing and keeping track of all the inputs and all the outputs mm -hmm. it's easy to lose track of that and and kind of hope you're profitable sure but does hoping you're profitable work counter mike no what, no. do you, what do you see with your clients? Does hoping you're profitable lead to success in business or in life? Not usually. I mean, sometimes it can work out for you, but generally it's going to be a lot easier, a lot less headaches if you've got a real plan, if you stick to the plan, and if you put something in place to know if you're staying on track. And that is what I think we're going to help everybody who's watching tonight uh, identify some of the costs identify some of the profitability where to look for that and kind of help everybody stay on track with keeping track of all this and working and growing towards being a profitable homestead because like a business like any new endeavor it takes a little bit of time to get profitable There's a term that I have always been confused by when yeah. talking to you about um, business. Cogs. What are the cogs? Cogs specifically reference, it's an acronym. It stands for cost of goods sold. It is a specific accounting measurement that is used anytime you're dealing with a business that sells some sort of tangible product, right? It gets a little complicated a little quick, but the basic point is you're trying to capture all of the costs that are involved in producing something which is ready to sell. So right? what I've done, because as a farmer, as a homesteader, the idea that the cost of goods sold, that's that's accountant talk. Uh, I've, I've gone through and kind of labeled these the way my farmer homesteader brain thinks of them. Now, some of you out there probably are more maybe accountant Mike brained and you can talk costs of goods sold all day. But I've got a list of seven costs. And if you're taking notes, pioneers, this video is going to be able, you're going to be able to stream this all the time. But if you want to maybe put some notes in your iPhone so that, or your whatever phone you use, Hey, we don't judge, uh, put the notes there and <laughs> <laughs> you can go back to them. So the first of the seven, these are seven costs that you need to make sure you are, including in your cost assessment when trying to figure out whether or not you're running a profitable homestead. The very first one is what I refer to as your startup cost. You've moved to a homestead or you've already been at the homestead, but you're starting up a new enterprise in the homestead. You've been raising chickens for the last five years and now you want to get some pigs so you're starting up whether it's a brand new homestead or a brand new enterprise you're going to have some costs that you're going to have to take care of right away 
that you will not hopefully have to take care of for another five, 10, if you do it correctly, maybe 20 years. So Accountant Mike, what are some startup costs that a brand new homesteader has to make sure they're thinking about that they're going to identify? Okay, well, I would imagine, you know, we're talking about probably some sort of animal that's being raised, right? So, I have here breeding stock, yep. Right, so you need to get the animal. Uh, this animal is going to have to live somewhere, I think. So if even if they're not going to live in some sort of building like a barn, you're at least going to need like, you know, some fencing so they don't just wander away. Uh, we might need, I don't know, if you put water in a bin, drink it, you're going to need the bin. Trough, that's the word I, I was looking it. for. I knew the bin wasn't right, but there you go. Um, those sort of things. Uh, now, I, I kind of skimmed past a big one, which is like a building. That would be a good example. And even bigger, ready? Sure. Back away from the building. What do you need to start your homestead? You need a desire to do so and a dose of insanity well, and some startup capital. I don't know. The property, right? Oh, yeah, true that. So if you want to have, when we first wanted to have chickens, we lived in the suburbs, we couldn't have chickens, so we needed to buy that property. Now, some some you homesteaders out there who are really wanting to turn this into a business, you're going to want to factor that in. Others of you might say to yourself, you know what, I got to live somewhere and I'm going to live in the country. So I'm sure. not going to worry about that. But perhaps you factor in some of the taxes that you have to go, your property tax. Because if you own 10 acres and you got a nice outbuilding on it, guess what? Your taxes are higher than somebody with one acre and no outbuildings. Outbuildings really rack that up, right? Am I right about that, Accountant Mike? You're correct. I'm taking your job. You're talking about water troughs, and I'm talking about property tax. I know. It's quite the switcheroo. Fencing. Um, yeah. You talked about the water trough, but sometimes you got to put in water lines. So sure. all these infrastructure costs, make sure you think about every one of those that brought you to that point, right? All your startup costs. So that's the way to handle startup cost. Once you then have all your infrastructure ready, you get those two maybe breeder pigs, you get your start off livestock. Now you're, you're off and running. And so the number mm -hmm. two kind of cost that you don't want to miss if you're making a list is your running costs. This is feed, right? Every time you got an egg out of the chicken, you need to put more feed in the chicken. But it's more than just feed. If you have chicks and you need to keep those chicks warm, that takes a lot of electricity. So you got to factor in things like, you know, I'm, I'm burning up these heat bulbs. I'm burning through heat bulbs. I'm running electricity. My electricity bill goes up every spring because we have babies on the homestead. We have waterers throughout the winter. Uh, so these are your running costs, uh, your taxes. We I mentioned it during the amortization, but really taxes are one of those running costs. Every year you're going to have yeah. on your property these continual uh, property taxes. Um, for some of you, you have well water. We could factor the cost of a well over the lifetime of our homestead. Hopefully it lasts the lifetime. Uh, certainly uh, the well pump might go. We had that happen back at our old farm and that was a couple thousand bucks to replace. So again, amortizing that cost. But for those of you who are on city water, maybe you've got a suburb homestead like Accountant Mike has started. You're going to want to factor in your water uh. bill going up when you're watering your uh, arugula and your uh, basil out in that beautiful raised bed. So the point is, what are you continually spending to keep these animals going? 
what's constantly going in. Did I miss anything, Accountant Mike? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think you hit the high points. Um, the The only thing I would toss in there, if you are, let's say you built the big barn and you want to insure the barn in case it burns down or great something man. like that, yep, I would man. toss in that cost. Obviously not insurance on your whole house because you need to live somewhere. But like if you have an insurance specifically on that building, factor that into your running costs. Awesome point. Number three, this is a fun one. This is called surprise costs. <laughs> this is for all of you who are like me, who came into homesteading as an idealist and thought this is going to be amazing. We're going to raise all our own food. We're going to eat farm fresh eggs every day and farm fresh bacon. We're going to put all our animals out on grass and it's going to cure everything and everything's going to be wonderful and just homesteading solves all of life's problems. And your first year in, you're like, everything just died. <laughs> Speaking of which, I just got a reminder on my phone to give my dog his Lyme disease medicine. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Animals get sick. That, that was like so well-timed. My lab, Bo Bobo, he got uh, Lyme's disease. I woke up like one day and he looked like a dead dog. So what's wrong with this pup? Um, it's one of those things that it's like, I think it's worse than what it looks. When I first saw him like this yesterday, I thought, oh man, maybe they were roughhousing too much and he like sprained something or maybe he's got a thorn in his foot. He's got like a little bit of a limp. But I kept watching him through the day and the biggest sign that what's wrong with him is not just a sprain or something stuck in his foot is his general energy. This is a hunting dog. He's only four years old. He's high drive. He should be running around at least half as excited as Poppy is. Um, he was just like walking and limping. Uh, and guess what? Lyme disease pill for dogs? Mm -hmm. First off, you can take a test, $30, whether okay. or not they have Lyme disease. Okay. And it uh, turns out he definitely did. It was Oops. worth taking the test. Okay. Uh, $30 test and like the pills for your dog's Lyme treatment are like tons. They were like $200, $100. It was a lot for dog, but it's my dog. I'm going to take care of my dog. So I had to give him medicine. You're gonna have animals get sick and you might not be factoring that in when you get started. You might not think like, I'm just raising feeder pigs. I'm gonna get them at eight weeks old. At six months, they're gonna be at the butcher. There's no chance they're gonna get sick. They're gonna have a nice life out in the sun, loving life. I had a whole batch of 12 pigs we brought back one year get pneumonia. So yesterday we noticed that our pigs were starting to develop a cough. Some of them had a short wheeze. So I called up my pig mentor, Tom Dexter. Uh, we interviewed Tom a couple videos back. Uh, Tom has been doing pigs his whole life. He knows everything you gotta know about pigs and I figured I could trust him. So I told Tom what we were seeing and he said it looked like pneumonia in the pigs. He recommended we hit them up with some penicillin really quick. He said, don't wait. And this is one of those examples where, you know, 
you might not want to use antibiotics across the board for all your animals, uh, but when you see pigs that are wheezing, they're having struggle to breathe, the kind thing is to treat them and help them get better. Uh, so today we're going to show you the very first time that we are giving shots to pigs. The only kind of shot I've given to a pig before was with a 22. So this should be interesting. All right, we're going to perform our first pig sticking. By that I mean we're giving a pig a shot. We're not killing a pig, hopefully. Let me mark it first. Whether or not you choose to use antibiotics in your animals is up to you. Uh, we like to tell our customers that we use no unnecessary antibiotics because over the last four years of raising pigs and selling them, I've never had to do this. But here we are at the first spot where suddenly I have a whole group of pigs, all of them coughing, looking like they're in pain, like they can't breathe. And if you're trying to farm, you know, do your own small farm so that your animals have a better life, these aren't breeding animals. I'm not breeding a line that's susceptible to something. These are feeders. They've already been bought by my customers. I don't even own most of these pigs. Most of these are already owned by my customers. And we've decided that we don't want to see pigs suffer and die because we're against the use of an antibiotic when appropriate. We have plenty of time for this antibiotic to pass through their system. These pigs will have another five months on farm. Uh, so there's plenty of time for them to get this antibiotic out of their system and that way the meat is absolutely perfectly fine for our consumption. And uh, that's a choice we've made. So it's a choice you're going to have to make too when you decide to have your own animals. Because eventually, no matter how much you pasture your animals and treat them kind and love and kisses, everything gets sick. So you're going to have to deal with sickness at some time. Oh. Yeah, that was scary. Ah. 12 pigs, $90 deposit on all okay. those pigs. Okay. You know my margins. You've looked at Squash Hollow Farms books. Uh -huh. We aren't exactly, you know, rolling in it on our prof our pastured uh, Pigs are a good pigs. enterprise for you, though. They were good. Imagine if all my deposits, I'd already got all those deposits, and then I have 12, uh, 12 pigs, $90 a, a pig, plus, well, I didn't have them more than a day. So you're the, you're the math guy. How much? Uh, like if they all died? What do you mean? Is that like almost $1,000 in loss? Well, yeah. Yeah. So, pigs, yeah. so surprise cost. I had to get some. It was an Whoop. easy fix. We got some antibiotics. The pigs kicked their uh, their pneumonia. But the point is, you're not going to see some things coming. So that's vet bills. For those of you who've watched our recent videos, you saw we had a big tree come down, wrecked some of our fencing, which meant wrecked I wrecked your paternity leave. Oh man, the whole week. And I know, <laughs> like, it didn't take me a whole week to take care of it, but it was every day, like. Oh, I've got it in between storms and stuff. So like every day going outside and like chopping up a tree, I needed a I needed a new chainsaw blade. That blade was old and I am an unskilled sharpener. So yeah, anyway, it was uh, things like that are going to happen on the homestead. So you have to make sure you factor those in. If a tree falls down and wipes out your fencing and you put up new fencing, you can amortize that cost, but you still got to cover it. You're gonna need the cash for yeah. it in the meantime. If your animals get sick and you need to give those 12 pigs a pill to make them better, that's not amortized. That's, you know, whatever you spend 100 bucks on uh, antibiotic, that's mm. added into that group of pigs. Yep. So the point is, there's going to be surprises with homesteading. 
things you didn't see coming and you got to be ready and you got to make sure you log those expenses and, and incorporate them later when trying to be profitable. I would say this is a place where I would caution people against getting stuck in sort of an analysis paralysis scenario here, right? Like, you, I definitely think if you can, you got to put some money aside for, you know, in a little rainy day fund to protect against this sort of thing. But it is impossible to truly understand everything that could possibly happen, right? And, and just don't try to go too far down that path. You're going to end up getting yourself a little stuck. Such um, a good point. Good, good. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you've done a YouTube video on this. I can't remember one. Um about like what sort of things commonly go wrong. That. You just mentioned a lot of a lot of like basically what is it going to cost to periodically go to the vet? Um awesome. based on based on the size of your, you know, flock of animals <laughs> or whatever they are. Like some of that you can reasonably estimate at least a little bit. Um you could reasonably estimate are like all right, how much is it going to cost me if I have to replace half my fencing because a bulldozer wipes out or a tree or something like that. Um but don't go too far because you'll drive yourself nuts and, and you can't you can't I, be right i everything. think you nailed it instead of trying to think ahead of everything that's going to go wrong just have that emergency fund if yeah. you're planning on you know what i'm going to spend a thousand dollars on pigs this year plan on eleven hundred and that sure. hundred dollars will probably not even need be needed for what you the surprise but it'll be there if it pro if it's your first time doing pigs it will be needed because you'll forget something yeah. if it's your 10th time doing pigs and every time you plan on an extra hundred bucks after 10 years of pigs that'll be a thousand bucks that you've held aside and when something bad happens you'll be able to cover it and that you handle after it's happened so don't try to worry about everything but great idea for the next youtube video that's yeah. like I, I would be very curious to know because i'm sure at this point you've had enough experience to know like okay let's say, <laughs> let, let's say you have 10 animals like what's the actual cost of these sort of things going that's wrong an awesome and maybe thing. if this is not going to be too much for you like what sort of probability are we looking at like you know is it one in three goats that has a problem is it one in 10 chickens that dies so do I like know, the you... most probable things that will go wrong and what yeah. you're likely to spend on them per animal that's that's a yeah. winner right there maybe two videos out of that we'll do a top okay. five and a top ten all right finishing costs so you finally you got that animal all the way to the end and it's done. You're like, oh man, I raised the pig. He's ready. Phew, I, I, I took care of all those expenses. Now you bring him to the butcher. And in Connecticut, that costs $500. And people freak out when I say that. People are like, what? People who are watching from other places in the world, here in Pennsylvania, it's probably almost a little higher than half that. I've got prices already around 350, 300, uh, maybe in the middle America where there's a ton of pigs and a lot of this just a streamlined operation. Maybe you could have it done for a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. So that will depend on where you live, but you not only have to think about the actual butcher, uh, let's say you got a garden and you have this huge, you know, surplus of tomatoes. How are you going to save those tomatoes? Well, you can can them. Well, now you got to spend money on cans. Uh, you know, even if you're just putting things in Ziploc bags and freezing it, there's a finishing cost. What I just said about the surprise cost, don't try to anticipate everything, but, you know, do what you can to prevent and keep a buffer. Exactly the opposite for the finishing cost. 
from my viewpoint. Before you get your first pig, you should know exactly how much it's going to cost you legally to get this thing ready to sell. If you're in a state where you have to pay a butcher, talk to an actual butcher. Better yet, talk to four or five. Find out how much they're going to charge. What sort of packaging are you going to put this thing in once it's butchered? Make sure you know exactly how much that thing is, right? This is a place where, unlike these surprise costs, these are completely non-surprising costs. <laughs> you should, before you start your very first enterprise, know exactly what these finishing costs are and build that into your cost structure from the beginning. Great point and probably something people forget to do. They think, oh, I'm going to raise this pig and then they find out yep. from the butcher it's going to be 500 bucks. Whoops. And then they take that pig down to auction and they have to sell it pennies to the dollar because oh. they weren't ready to handle the cost of it. I've heard and stories then, like that. So and then often buys it and flips it. <laughs> Flip this it's pig. Flipping pigs with pigs. <laughs> you get into that. <laughs> Next home steady shirt. Flip this All pig. Right. This one is... I have it separated from all these kind of costs because I think a lot of homesteaders don't factor it in. But anybody running a business would. Time and labor. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's not your feed bill. It's not your butcher. But all of these things do take time. So how do you factor that in? Time, labor. It's something you enjoy doing, mm -hmm. right? Sure. You would rather spend your day, hopefully you would rather spend your day, it's, it's something you enjoy doing, that's why you're doing it. Yep. Um, so how do you, how, what's a reasonable way do you factor in your time and labor into your cost? I think if we're talking about this sort of homestead scenario, right, realistically, like if you were to pay someone to do this for you, what would that cost? Now, I'm not saying you automatically need to build that into your cost structure, but I think you should have that figure in mind when you're working to determine your pricing. Because part of why we're going through this whole exercise is to determine what your pricing needs to be in order right. to be profitable. Now, so something I did want to focus in today's episode, not just on people running a business, right? Sure. Um, so you could say, hey, this is my hobby. I don't have to factor this in. But if you want to run a profitable homestead, having an idea what you said, what it would cost to hire someone. Let's say you're everything's going good and then you break your leg and you do need to hire a farmhand for a week or two to just help take cover the cost, right? What would you spend? You're not gonna spend, you know, top dollar. You could probably find a farmhand for, you know, startup labor job kind of pricing, but just put that figure out there. Get an idea of what kind of time you're spending doing it and, and have that number just to refer to because it's really hard to say that your raised bed, that, you know, maybe you spend $10 in, in seed and you get $100 of produce, it's hard to say that that was actually worth the $90 if mm. every day you spent, you know, two hours for an entire season managing that. Now, sure. if you enjoy that time, great. That's awesome. Enjoy that time. But if you want to run a profitable homestead, factor that in. Yeah. Because of the next point on number six, which, you know, you could combine with time and labor. Uh, it's a little bit separate. If you spend that time in your garden two hours a day, what are you not doing? What's the sixth on the list? So number six 
opportunity cost. So when we say opportunity cost, Austin's not making this up. This is actually an economic, uh, economic concept. It's got a real definition. Specifically, what we are talking about here, what is the one other thing that you are not doing because you're choosing to do the thing that you are? Now, this, is, this works both in concepts of actual dollars, right? And then also it works very well for time. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you run through this analysis and you decide, okay, I'm going to raise pigs. That's my enterprise. The opportunity cost of doing the pigs is you can't do the next best thing. Now, you're not going to say I can't do all of the other things because they're, you know, they're exclusive of each other. But you could be in a place where you say, I'm going to use this patch of land for pigs, which means I can't use that patch of land for chickens, which is the next best thing. Same thing with the time. I'm going to spend two hours a day working on my raised bed over there. That's two hours a day that I cannot spend on raising pigs or that I cannot spend on learning on butchering my own product or something like that. We are talking about the cost of missing out on the next best thing here. That's your opportunity cost. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why it is important to track the time and labor cost. Yeah. Because you might find, if you're paying attention to time and labor, I could raise in one, I have one available paddock, right? I have this area it's fenced in. I could put a flock of chickens in it and I track my time throughout this year and I see I spend every day an hour on chickens. Mm. And then you could put the same paddock, two big old pigs, and you see two pigs. Wow, I actually spend only a half hour a day on two pigs. But profitability, we've been through the numbers. Pigs are more profitable than chickens for most of us. Maybe you got some good niche or something working for you. But for most of us, it's easier to make money on pigs. What should you use that paddock for? Mm -hmm. If you love chickens and you hate pigs, then you should you know, just enjoy your hobby. But if you're trying to run a profitable homestead, maybe it's time to say, well, you know what? We're going to just do pigs in this paddock. And we've done that over the years. We've tried a whole lot of different things. I always come back to pigs because I know I can spend the least amount of time needed to care for the most profitable animals. If I want to turn a profit on my homestead, this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I go with pigs. Now, right now I have a homestead full of dairy animals. We're, we got 
two dairy goats, we got two dairy cows, and I'm buying milk every week. <laughs> so right now we're not focused on maximum profitability. I have no pigs right now. I would love to have pigs, but we're focused on, you know, the whole family and the things we all like to do. So Daddy's favorite will, you know, gets bumped to the end because we're focused on dairy right now. But if we were focused on profitability, we'd have the pigs back because I'm <laughs> Mortgage lifters. <laughs> the last one, and this is one that, again, the idealist homesteader is going to miss. They're not going to think about because they're thinking this is going to be amazing. I'm going to grow two pigs and I'm going to get all this bacon and I'm going to get all this sausage. I'm going to grow a, a raised bed garden. I'm going to have all these tomatoes and I'm going to make my own salsa. And then August comes and you got to get the pigs on, you know, loaded up and you got to get all your crops harvested and, and things get kind of crazy. It's your first year doing everything. And before you know it, you look at your garden and you have these gorgeous tomatoes that are now all on the vine still and they're rotting. Mm. So that's your waste. There is going to be some waste. So how do you factor waste into your cost what's the right way to look at that well i would say if it was me and i was going into this totally green i would want to again try to find some sort of estimate of what kind of waste i can expect like if i'm gonna grow if i'm gonna grow let's say 10 tomato plants what sort of waste can i expect from those 10 plants can i expect a 10% waste, meaning basically one out of those 10 plants is not even going to produce for me? Or should I expect um, more waste? Should I expect less? That's the way I would start. Um, I would also kind of try to think through what kinds of waste we're talking about here. A lot of times we're talking about food, right? Which means if you successfully harvest something and you can't sell it in time, that might not necessarily be waste in a uh, holistic sense, because maybe that just means, okay, well, I'm gonna take this food that's still good and I'm gonna put it in my freezer and I will eat it at some point because I just couldn't sell it in time. Um, this is where we kind of blur the line between like true profitability and like profit in the sense of, I'm trying to get something back out of the center, I'm trying to get back more than I put in. Yeah. Uh, I would start that way and then I would just build a big buffer. This feels kind of to me like the um, surprise cost where like, it's gonna be hard to know exactly yeah. what sort of you'll have, but you yep. know you'll have some. This is one of those surprises that you don't think is gonna happen, but you buy, you know, you raise 50 meat birds and a couple of them are gonna die like on the way to the butcher. You're gonna lose. Yes. So like you're so close and then something's gonna happen. And it happens to everybody somewhere down the line. So uh, whether it's tomatoes that you wanted to can them all, but, you know, time got away from you. We just, the other day, you'll see it on the channel probably next week, we went cherry picking and we had a big group and we got 20 pounds of cherries. <laughs> and we were just having fun cherry picking. And now we're like, oh no, what, what are you going to do? do with 20 pounds of cherries? We don't, we, we paid for them. We don't want to waste these cherries. 
So now we're dealing with like, okay, how do we use these cherries? Cherry Twenty pie. of them. Cherry pie. Cherry, on cherry, the menu. cherry flavored coffee. But it's one of those things. So you want to make sure you're prepared for that, and planning ahead is a good way to do that. That's all the costs. Uh, this is just within the chicken world, but I wanted to bring out my buddy John's pastured poultry packet. John is, well, you know, Captain Mike, because you work with. I know John. You know, you work with Johnny. Um, John from Farm Marketing Solutions has his pastured poultry packet. Now, this is very focused if you're raising pastured poultry and for a business, but also for those of us who just want to have a profitable homestead. Uh, this workbook, it focuses on both those enterprises. What I love is John is really good about identifying so many of the costs you're not thinking of. And in his workbook, if you're thinking about doing pastured poultry, you pioneers get a discount on this. Check the, the library. You can check that. There's a discount on the pastured poultry packet. You get 10% off being a home study pioneer. Uh, this thing, you go through it. John talks about your feed prices. Grit. You weren't thinking of putting grit in your chickens, but you should be. And he talks about why. And he says what that does, you know, what the grit does for him. You got to buy grit. Electricity. He goes through the price per kilowatt hour. How many uh, watts you're going to go for your fixtures, for your lights. And he's got the blank spaces to walk you through it. So you can fill out your numbers. He has his typical usage. Because if it's your first year raising chickens, you're, you're thinking, I don't know how many lights I'm going to use. His typical usage, three fixtures, 250 watts each, equals 750 watts. Uh, he goes through all the math. So for those of you who are not like Accountant Mike, who are more like me and aren't naturals at looking at all these numbers, John in his pasture poultry packet walks you through them. Labor, his labor estimate. He talks about budget 10% mortality. You're talking about that waste cost. I wanted to show you that if you don't know about the uh, pasture poultry packet, I wanted to show you Pioneers because you guys get a discount on this thing and it is an awesome tool to go through and plan for pastured poultry operations. Check the library, the discount section. John is one of our discounts. I got an exciting new one that we're going to announce next week and I'm going to try to fill that even more. We've had a huge response to the Pioneer program this month. A lot of new Pioneers. Thank you guys so much. We can't do this show without you. And one of the ways that we're trying to thank you is by getting you more discounts on really good quality stuff like the pasture poultry packet. So I feel like a, uh, a couple minutes ago, I talked about back when we were talking about surprise costs, like trying to get some sort of rough picture of this sort of stuff, right? Yep. That sort of thing, you said it's 10% off. Do you happen to know how much it is? Uh, the digital pastured poultry packet, I believe is $40. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's $40. Let's say it's that. The digital. Let, let's say it's anything less than like a hundred bucks. Yep. Like in my viewpoint, that is such an easy investment to make because even if that saves you from one problem that you would incur on your own without just you know going into this totally green, in my mind that is completely worth it. Because um, again, like if you're starting a brand new enterprise, you're going in without any real concept of not only what could go wrong but also how much it could cost, and you're not really aware of like we talked about lighting just a minute ago. You could also easily go too far the other way, have way more lighting than you need, end up spending too much in electricity. You could not have, you could keep your chickens in a in a uh, in a tractor that's 
much too big than what they need because you think oh chickens i want them to you know have space and stuff like that maybe you put them in a tractor that's huge and you actually could put more chickens in there something like that i think is tremendously valuable because it kind of can give you a little bit of a jump start a little bit of a leg up and hopefully save you some from learning some of these lessons the hard way getting you at least a little bit ahead and if you amortize the cost on things like knowledge <laughs> that best learns you it's pennies to the dollar so per, there you go per chicken i mean that's going to cost you a dollar per chicken per so, chicken amortized less, over a lifetime so there totally worth it that's what pioneer membership's all about get you ahead get you you know further along Those are the costs that you want to identify. If you keep track of those seven, arguably six costs, <laughs> seven's better on a list, right? Yeah, uh, Those sure. will help you make sure that you know what you are really spending, not just feed and water, but what are you really spending on these animals? If you can get that figure, then you can move on to this next part, which is profit. We all want to profit from our homesteads. Even if we're not running a business, even if we're not ever going to sell something, we want to get more from the homestead back than what we put in. Again, if you love it, if it's your hobby and it doesn't matter what it costs, you get so much from that hobby that it's worth every penny. And I think for a lot of us, that's the case. That's wonderful. It doesn't mean it's profitable. It just means... Uh, it's a great hobby that you know you spend your free time doing because it makes you happy. And sure, you could say that's the ultimate game. But in the terms that we're looking at tonight, is it profitable dollars and cents wise? We've addressed the costs. What can we look to that even Accountant Mike would agree is something we can call profit? Because it's not just selling a product and making more money than what we spent on it. So I have a much smaller list here, three things, three places we can look for profit. If you're taking notes, the first one is the direct products that these enterprises, these animals, these plants give us. That's amazing. Did you pull it up? Yeah, look at it. Is it ready to eat? Right there. That's delicious. Cool. So if you plant an apple tree, you get back an apple, that product is your profit. It is your gain. It's not money, but it has intrinsic value that arguably, depending on your place in life, would be worth more than the dollar figure you commonly see it at the store. So the, the products you're getting from your homestead, if your bacon is the best bacon, even in a blind taste test, if it is delicious, it's something you could maybe only find at a local farmer's market uh, and you could you know compare it to that local farmer's market price, uh, that product, what that worth is, and that's a good way to put some worth to it. Find something comparable and see what it actually would cost you to buy. Uh, we look at milk right now, right? So we have a grass-fed Jersey and we drink raw milk from a grass-fed Jersey. For those of you who know, Jerseys make amazing, sweet, rich milk. It is so delicious. And if you enjoy raw milk, 
a grass-fed jersey. It's it's just a wonderful product. So what is that worth? You might not compare that to a $4 or $3 per gallon bulk tank, you know, down at the Shop and Stop. Is it Shop and Stop? Stop and Shop. I always get that wrong. Food and stuff. Food and stuffs. Uh, your beautiful raw milk you might value at a higher dollar figure than what you get at the supermarket you know, just off the shelf from the bulk tank. You could value it to another dairy down the road who does raw milk from Jersey's. What do they charge? And that's how we always valued uh, back in Connecticut. We were buying raw milk from a Jersey herd that was eight bucks a gallon. And at the supermarket, we could buy, you know, two or three dollars a gallon, just your regular, you know, gallon of milk. We were valuing our product at that eight dollar figure. So it would cost us to replace it about eight dollars per gallon arguably it probably costs us more than $8 per gallon to produce, but that's why we're doing this. We're trying to target and figure this all out. So what products are you getting? Is it lettuce? Is it eggs? Is it milk? Are you turning the milk into cheese? Those direct products, that's one of your profits, and that's the easy one to identify. Even if you're not selling it, it has worth. It has tangible worth. It has worth at the supermarket, and it has an intrinsic worth that food always has in a situation when you need it. But now there is some more ways we can find profit, but we do have to be careful when factoring these in. So the next one I put on the list is indirect products. And the reason I say we have to be careful about how we factor these in, uh, I feel like these are the ones that get listed by people as, you know, don't forget about this and don't forget about that. Uh, But they're not always as valuable as what we claim when trying to tout profitability. So you have a cow and she's producing milk and your family guzzles that milk. That has real value. Instantly, people are going to say, don't forget about the manure. That's black gold. Counted Mike, do you think manure is black gold? Well, I think oil is frequently referred to as black gold. So, so I is think it that brown gold. Brown gold. I don't think that manure is brown gold because Why? I don't want it. You don't want it. I, I could say to you, hey, accountant Mike, thanks for doing my quarterlies. I got a bag for you in the van. Oh, man, you're going to thank me. You're going to be so bad. You do my taxes. Brown gold, buddy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, that, that doesn't have, I mean, it's terrible to me because I don't have any use for don't that. Use I for don't, it. I mean, who knows? Maybe in a year or two, if, if this container garden goes nuts, maybe I'll want it then. Right. I don't want it now. I can eat that chicken that you pay me with. I'll eat that thing tomorrow. Yes. That's got value to me. So that's where the indirect, uh, indirect profitability, it is there in the form of manure, a lot of times you hear people talk about land management. I got this herd of goats and I let I can let them loose and they can eat all the weeds on my property and then I'll let the sheep loose and they'll eat all the grass. Okay, if you're doing that and it is saving you physical work, then it is a benefit. But if you have no use for that giant pile of manure and you list it on Craigslist and nobody's showing up to buy your brown gold, 
then it's really not something you can factor in as a profit. Because remember the definition of profit. It's a gain. And if you're not actually gaining something from that big pile of manure, if it's just an eyesore and a stink pile on your property, then you can't arguably, you know, you can't tell someone, no, I, I have a cow and I get everything from it, including brown gold. So it is there if you need it. If you're someone who likes to garden, yes. If you're someone who gets the manure back out on your field, yes. If, if that you use as some form of restoring nutrients back into your soil, yes. Then there's value, but only if you're using it. And I think a lot of beginner homesteaders get excited when they're told about these indirect products, but they don't actually take advantage of them. I don't mm. think if you have a bunch of chickens in a chicken coop and you don't have a garden, their poop, no matter how high in nitrogen, is doing nothing for you but stinking. So make sure you're going to use that, plan it in your system, or just don't count it as a profit. If you are in the planning stages, this is why I like the fact that we're talking about profit, not necessarily monetary profit, right? Because this is something, when you're just getting started in something like this, you could absolutely consider, hey, I wasn't really going to do a garden because I don't think it necessarily makes sense. But what if I have this animal which is going to produce a bunch of manure for me? Does that change the profit equation on the garden? And maybe it will. Maybe being in this place can allow you to kind of uh, feed yourself a little bit. Like, well, okay, hey, that'll actually cut down on my real input costs for to grow tomatoes or something, right? which means it's easier for me to profit from tomatoes, and it also makes this Jersey cow make a little bit more sense for me. I am not saying this should be a big driving force. I don't think this should be a critical decision maker, but definitely something that you could consider if you have the mindset of, I'm trying to generate a profit, meaning I'm trying to get more out of this thing than I put into it. That is such a good point. Cows, cows have a ton of indirect products and direct products, right? I have said it many times on this channel. I don't really like gardening. Mm. I don't really like digging manually in the dirt. I don't really enjoy it. And I get a lot of flack for that, but that's okay. Like I did, you know, you worked there alongside me in the ditches for years, putting in septic systems. That is yep. not a hobby for me, digging in the ground. So if I were to say, well, we have these cows, so now I'm going to take this manure and I'm going to garden. I don't like gardening. So to say, let's use this brown gold now in a garden, and that way I'll be more profitable, it's not, it's not a good move. So don't use it to drive your decisions. Now, I love raising pigs. I love working with pigs. I love doing infrastructure for pigs. Cows who give an excess of milk, that can be fed to pigs. One of the first things of one of the farmers I bought one of my first pigs from told me uh, he raised Tamworth pigs, those red pigs. Some people claim they're the bacon pig. I think most pigs give delicious bacon. It doesn't matter the breed. But that's just that's just my take on that. Um, he said, the, after he sold me a couple Tamworths, he said, next thing you're going to need is a dairy cow because you're going to spend a fortune feeding these pigs. But if you have some dairy cows out there in your field, bring them in and you get the milk, you feed the pigs. Milk-fed pork is delicious and it's going to save you some money. So that is something that I already like cows and I already like pigs. Maybe we go that direction instead of the garden because I know I don't like to garden. So to try to chase profit in an enterprise that I don't really enjoy, 
that's where it's probably not a great decision. If it's something you'd like to do that you want to do and you can make with homesteading, you can usually find partnerships, then it's a great move. Third place to find profit, this is the one that's the obvious one, Accountant Mike. Sales. Sell it for some money. Sell it for some money. Actual profit. Actual profit. Financial profit. Sorry, not actual. Financial profit. Dic- uh, dictionary definition profit. Um, yeah, you grow a bunch of bacon, sell some of that bacon. Sell that bacon. And sell that bacon. Now that we have looked at all of our costs and we've uh-huh. identified all the other areas of profit, we're in a better place. What do we make sure when we're going to sell this? You want to make sure you sell it for a healthy profit margin, which means how much you have left after you sell this stuff, after you factor in all of your costs, how much did you make on a per unit basis? If it cost you $800 to raise a pig, you can't sell that pig for $800. It also probably doesn't make sense to sell that pig for $850. Probably doesn't make sense to sell it for $900. But there's going to be a point where like, okay, I don't know, a thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. Somewhere it's going to start making sense. You can use that as a good starting point to kind of gauge where you are in your market. Am I charging a reasonable price for the quality of the thing that I'm delivering? People don't buy stuff. People buy value. Are you actually delivering real value to them at this price point? If you are, great. And if you can't do it, that's okay. At least you know that like, Selling it to make money is kind of out of the equation at that point. So to make sure that uh, you make enough back, what do you generally tell someone who's running a business? What do they want to see percentage wise in profit? Oh, it all depends on the business. Um, General, I mean, usually anything that makes less than like a 10% profit doesn't really seem to be worth your while. Most right? of our homesteads are, you could you could look at them comparably to a business that's like a small mom and pop, uh-huh. a lot of love in every product. Doing what? You know, labors of love. A homestead, everything's a labor of love. It takes a ton of time. And most of our homesteaders aren't going to have thousands to produce, right? They're going to be selling twos, threes, tens. Sure. So is 10% enough? Should they be looking for more? What's a good idea for someone in that? And I know it's vague, but just someone more in the homestead world, what percentage should they shoot for? I mean, if we were running something purely as a business yeah. and we're doing this kind of a product-based business where we're gaining everything and we've got, you know, we've got to anticipate loss and all the stuff we've talked to, I would say I would shoot for something like a 15% profit margin, but reality, you're probably going to end up with a little bit less. You're probably going to be down closer towards a 10% sort of range or maybe even a touch less. That's if you're running this as a true business, right? Mm -hmm. Which I just said a moment ago, I kind of feel like a business that only produces a 10% profit margin doesn't really seem worth it to me. (laughs) That's That's where I like your list of the three and we're talking about quote unquote profits. Like maybe homesteading and farming in general doesn't make a ton of financial sense does it make sense in other ways are you going to get a 10 percent profit and also feed your family with all this good quality stuff that's a totally different scenario than trying to do this in order to like make a money and still live on the outside you know
what about that X factor, right? You, you don't really care if you're putting a bunch of money in your wallet. You just want to spend your time with your pigs. You want to be outside with your chickens. You love working in your garden. You, you, life is more than the money we make, right? If that's how you handle your homestead, is it going to be profitable, Accountant Mike? Um, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and that's okay. Because playing golf isn't usually profitable either, right? Right. Playing golf is fun if you're into golf. But if anybody owns a driving range, I'd like to know. (laughs) I think that that's the way you could do it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with me and Accountant Mike. Don't forget, if you want to become a member, the monthly membership is on sale right now at thisishomesteady.com slash pioneers podcast. Head over there, get your discount, and help support the show, get bonus content, and join us for the live show, which is basically every week now we're going to be running this live show. We'd love to have you on board for it. And you get to join and ask questions, so it's going to be really fun. Thank you, podcast listeners. Don't miss out on that sale, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode of the Home Study Podcast, which will be coming out sooner than this one did. Apologies again for the delay. Bye.